0: As so I mentioned uh, last week, the way we are doing Scripture, reading Scripture, sharing Scripture, is a, u- a little unique. Uh, we're using excerpts from the film The Gospel of John. And to remind you of why we are doing that, the Gospel of John has long discourses, long stories about people who are seeking after Christ or people who are being sought, but seekers who come into Jesus' presence. And the story that we're going to be looking at this morning is one of the longest, it may be the the longest, uh, stories, discourses, conversations in all the New Testament between Jesus and another person. This morning, we're looking at what has come to be known, the woman at the well. It is a a terrific encounter. It is, uh, if you can imagine yourself uh, asking to, uh, or, or being asked to go mine for gold, and in the process of being asked to mine for gold, you asking the question, well, where should I look? Where should I mine? And the answer is, it doesn't make any difference. Wherever you dig, you're going to find gold. Well, that's what this story is like. Wherever you dig, wherever you look, you're going to find gold. So, John, 4th chapter, verses 1 through 42.
1: Jesus was winning and baptizing more disciples than John. Actually, Jesus himself did not baptize anyone, only his disciples did. So when Jesus heard what was being said, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. On his way there, he had to go through Samaria. In Samaria, he came to a town named Sychar, which was not far from the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by the trip, sat down by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw some water.
2: me a drink of water
1: his disciples had gone into town to buy food
2: you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan so how can you ask me for a drink
1: Jews will not use the same cups and bowls that Samaritans use if you only knew what God gives and who it is that is asking you for a drink you would ask him and he would
2: give you a life-giving water sir you don't have a bucket and the well is deep where would you get that life-giving water It was our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. He and his children and his flocks all drank from it. You don't claim
1: to be greater than Jacob, do you?
2: Those who drink this water will get thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring, which will provide them with life-giving water and give them eternal life. Sir, give me that water. Then I will never be thirsty again. Nor will I have to come here to draw water. Go and call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. You are right when you say you don't have a husband. You've been married to five men and the man you live with now is not really your husband. You have told me the truth. I see you are a prophet. My Samaritan ancestors worshipped God on this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship God. Believe me, woman. The time will come when people will not worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not really know whom you worship. But we Jews know whom we worship because it is from the Jews that salvation comes. But the time is coming is already here when by the power of God's Spirit people will worship the Father as he really is offering him the true worship that he wants God is spirit and only by the power of his spirit can people worship him as he really is I know that the Messiah will come and when he comes he will tell us everything I am he I who am talking with
1: you at that moment Jesus disciples returned and they were greatly surprised to find him talking with a woman but none of them said to her what do you want or asked him why are you talking with her then the woman left her water jar and went back to the town
2: told me everything I've ever done Could he be the Messiah?
1: so they left the town and went to Jesus in the meantime the disciples were begging Jesus teacher have something to eat but he answered I have food to eat that you know nothing about so the disciples started asking among themselves could somebody have brought him food
2: my food is to obey the will of the one who sent me and to finish the work he gave me to do you have a saying Four more months, and then the harvest. But I tell you, take a good look at the fields. The crops are now ripe and ready to be harvested. The one who reaps the harvest is being paid and gathers the crops for eternal life. So the one who plants and the one who reaps will be glad together. For the saying is true. Someone plants, someone else reaps. I have sent you to reap the harvest in a field where you did not work. Others worked there and you profit from their work
1: many of the Samaritans in that town believed in Jesus because the woman had said he told me everything I have ever done so when the Samaritans came to him they begged him to stay with them, and Jesus stayed there two days many more believed because of his message and they told the woman we believe now not because of what you said but because we ourselves have heard him. And we know that he really is the savior of the world.
0: Well, theme in John 4, 1 through 42, from the beginning to the end, uh, these words speak of transformation, transformation of conventional expectations challenges to the status quo, Jesus openly challenges and breaks open two boundaries in this story. The boundary between the chosen people, the Jews, and the rejected people, the Samaritans, and between male and female. So, protecting boundaries, the first boundary that religious folk, during Jesus' time, were interested in protecting the conflict between Jews and Samaritans that had gone on literally for hundreds of years, but perhaps uh, had its greatest expression of of the, the depth of division by what happened around 128 B.C., Uh, Just a few years, a few decades before, Samaritans had built a shrine at Mount Gerizim, a place to worship. That was a problem because for Jews, there was only one place to worship, and that was the temple in Jerusalem. So creating an alternative site was not received well by Jewish folk. They finally took uh, such great exception to the existence of this other shrine that in 128 B.C. Jewish troops, Jewish soldiers, went to the shrine and destroyed it. So the uh, ill will that already existed between Samaritans and Jews uh, deepened even more greatly so that by the time of Jesus coming, Jesus ministry, uh, the division perhaps could not have been any deeper. Jesus finds himself, along with his disciples, tra- traveling through a Samaritan region or the Samaritan region and he comes in to contact with a Samaritan, but not just any Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman, and by engaging in conversation with this woman, Jesus violates two boundaries. The first, he's talking to somebody who's a Samaritan, that he's not supposed to be having conversation with. And the conversation revolves around what Christ, what the Messiah can offer, living water. This woman, very much like Nicodemus, who we, we talked about and, and looked at last week, Nicodemus, who took that literally, water that uh, you, can, you can be provided with, that, which will uh, never, never uh, lead to you being thirsty again, she takes that literally. Well, who wouldn't want that water? Give me that water. That's what I want. I don't want to have to come back to this well every day. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Crop Walk. Uh, crop Walk is a, uh, an annual event that takes place in many communities. Here we go. Here we We do our crop walk, we call it the hike for hunger, but the crop walk in its origins uh, is uh, designed to go about six miles. And the reason it goes six miles is because that's how long most of the planet, that's how far most of the planet has to walk to find clean water, drinking water. Well, what's true now was even more true perhaps during Jesus' time. So you can understand the woman's response. And if you can give me water so that I'm never thirsty again, I want that water. I don't have to come lugging this jug up to the well every day to retrieve water. And Jesus begins to instruct her on what the Messiah offers—spiritual, spiritual, spiritual uh, quenching of thirst. Well, in that conversation, Jesus uh, does this this thing beyond telling this seeker where she can find living water. He reminds all of us that privileged people and privileged place don't exist because Jesus has ushered in a time when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, the mountain where the holy shrine was built, the mountain that was sacred to the Samaritans, the mountain that caused deep, deep enmity and division between Samaritans and Jews because it had been violated by Jewish people, you'll neither worship, as Jesus said, on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Those divisions are broken down. Those distinctions between uh, male and female, be- between Samaritan and Jew, those are gone. Now, If there was ever a, uh, a word that we needed to hear today, it's that the divisions, the walls, the things that we are creating that deepen the division amongst us in Jesus Christ, by virtue of what Jesus does, Jesus the Messiah, the promised one, the chosen one, the one who comes to us revealing God the Father, by virtue of what he does, he says, those boundaries that you have built up or are intending to build up, they just don't exist. Forget this uh, division between male and female, Samaritan or Jew, black or white, Muslim or Christian. I came to show you God's kingdom and what God's kingdom looks like. I came to give you water, water, water everywhere for everybody. I came so we don't have to keep being thirsty. that we can find a thirst that's quenched in the way that we, we treat and relate to one another. Boundaries broken down. Jesus speaks to a woman, something that was entirely inappropriate, taboo in Jesus' time. You didn't do it. You certainly didn't initiate the conversation as Jesus does. But in that conversation, in that lengthy story that we have in John, the barriers, the boundaries are broken down. The woman finds something at that well that she was not looking for. She finds... God's promised one to all people. And in finding the interesting thing that happens to the woman is that she immediately has to tell other people what she's experienced. This woman, this Samaritan woman, becomes an evangelist. Hey, there's a better way to live with one another and to look at one another. There's a better way to treat one another. We don't have to look at each other with suspicion, with fear, with hate in our hearts. We don't have to do that anymore. I've found, I've met God's promised one. One who gives living water. Jesus opens the eyes of the Samaritan woman and the disciples so that they can see what's being offered in the present instead of viewing things through old realities and using those old realities to continue to construct barriers that keep us from one another. Jesus wants his disciples to know that the harvest is ready now. And you can't go out into a field to harvest. You can't go out into a field. You can't be the Samaritan woman that goes back to the village and tells everybody what she has found and discovered in her life. If you have to climb walls, if you have to run around barriers... If you're living in fear, if you've decided who you can like and who you, who you don't want to like for no other reason than they're different. Oh, Jesus wants his disciples to know that the harvest is ready now. And he calls us to that harvest. But God's salvation is available now To all. And it's God's salvation offered on God's terms, not our terms. God so loved the world. The climax of that story that we read last week and shared last week about Nicodemus. God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only son. savior in whom we put our faith does not conform to our expectations. Jesus do what we want you to do and don't ask us to do what you would have us to do. We would rather make you in our image like our image is so great than conform ourselves To your image. Well, let me tell you a little story, real quickly, about boundaries, about things churches can do. This goes back a ways when I was a college student. And I spent my freshman year in Macon, Georgia, at Mercer University. Mercer University campus was adjacent to uh, the campus of a church. Tattnall Square Baptist Church. And from time to time, I'd go to Tattnall Square Baptist Church to worship. Can't say I went there every Sunday. In fact, most of the Sundays I didn't go. But when I went, that's where I, that's where I went. Now, Tattnall Square had an interesting history that I was not aware of in 1968 when I was going uh, from time to time there. Happened a few years earlier, in the mid-60s. Mercer University uh, was always fighting with Emory University in Atlanta as to which one was the first to voluntarily to integrate their schools. And Mercer always claimed they were first. And the way that they integrated Mercer University was by bringing in international students. Uh, By the time I got there, they were accepting African-American students from Georgia. But in the mid-60s, when they initially brought black people into the university uh, community, they were literally from Africa. Those students came in in some number, 14, 15, I think the first year that uh, they admitted African students. They had come there. Uh, They were Christians. They were seeking a place to worship. Uh, All of them in in a group, in mass, decided they'd go to Tattnall Square Baptist Church. And so one Sunday, much to the surprise of the church, they all showed up. And you can see the picture up there. They went right through that main door that was on the main street. And the deacons that were standing at the door... Uh, didn't really know what to do. There uh, there were civil rights demonstrations going on in the city of Macon, and there were different churches all over the community that were being challenged uh, as to whether they would allow black people to come and worship in white congregations. So the deacons at Tattnall Square, they were were scratching their heads. They didn't know what to do. And and so uh, they went ahead and let these students on in. And everybody was very nervous during the worship service. Once the service was over, like all good churches that are faced with something that, that challenges them, uh, like all, or disturbs them, or bothers them, or they're going to solve the problem, like all good churches, they decided to call a committee meeting. And the deacons all gathered to discuss whether they should allow these African students to attend Tattler Square Baptist Church. The pastor uh, very, very forcefully said, we don't have any choice. This is a discussion we shouldn't even be having. Of course we're going to let them in. And the deacons, uh, the spiritual leaders, uh, the Pharisees, if you will, like all good Pharisees, said, well, well, wait a minute. Uh, we're not real sure about that, Pastor. We need to vote on this. We'll take your words into consideration. But after all, uh, we're the ones that will make the decision. And they did decide not to allow the students in if they were to return well the next sunday they did return and they were turned away at the door that wasn't the end of the discussion in the church the pastor was not going to take no for an answer he went to the entire congregation and ultimately the entire congregation voted to open the doors of the church and receive these folks to tear down barriers, artificial barriers, human-made barriers. It divided that church. That church split. Another, Another congregation was established in another site over that issue, over boundaries, over barriers, over talking to Samaritans or not talking to Samaritans. Here's the interesting thing about that. Those African students who all, were all Christians, who sought a place where they could go express their Christianity, you know how they became Christians? They were converted by Baptist missionaries, Southern Baptist missionaries in Africa. And they reasonably assumed, having been converted by the very church that supported such missionaries, they'd be welcome. We get very confused in church sometimes about who Jesus is and about what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus doesn't have anything to do with barriers or boundaries. There's nothing in the New Testament that you'll find where Jesus says, don't you associate with those lepers. We're not going to heal that blind guy because he's been blind since birth you're never going to find Jesus saying, uh, I'm not going to talk to this person because she's a woman. I'm going to be uh, even more upset than I already am hanging here on the cross because there are women here. Last at the cross, first at the tomb. Every time there's a conventional standard or boundary that exists you're going to find Jesus right in the middle saying, we're talking about the kingdom of God here, folks. Not the kingdom of man. And if you want to be part of that kingdom, part of my kingdom, we prayed it this morning, you said you did, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Then we need to embrace the things of Christ, not the things of human beings, humankind. That's what God calls us to in Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus came. And quite frankly, that's why we couldn't handle it and that's why Jesus was executed. But God in his mercy and God in his grace gave us another chance through the power of the resurrection so that we can do better, so that we can be better. So that we know, can know that there's water, water everywhere. We just need to have to, we just need to drink. Let's pray. God, we thank you for great stories about Jesus that we read in the New Testament, about the Savior, the one who delivers us from sin, the one who opens our eyes so that we can see. Lord, we thank you for that. God, we pray for open hearts and open eyes. In Christ's name, amen.